Yes, folks, it's Thursday, January 3rd, 2019, a brand new year we start. This is Pillars of Franchising, broadcasting the secrets of success in franchising. I'm Fred McMurray in California, and my co-host is Ray Pillar. Where are you, Ray? I am in Aurora, Illinois, and uh, it is an absolutely gorgeous day today. It is... uh, just below 30 degrees and sunny. So to me, this is beautiful, perfect weather. Uh, Well, I'm glad you enjoy that. Um, I'll take the sunny blue golden uh, Pacific Ocean. Actually, on January 1st, I was out on Avila Beach, um, lying out on the beach. It was probably mid-60s, and it was just the... The ocean was just uh, awesome. So you can have uh, Aurora in the 30s. I'll take the Central Coast in the 60s. Um, Actually, it's been uh, an excellent winter so far. I hope I'm not going to jinx it by saying that because other than one snowstorm we had, and I can't remember when it was, uh, seems like it was about three or four weeks ago, it's been pretty good so far. Well, that's awesome. So, Ray, who's our guest today? I hear uh, uh, Michael List might be a good guest. Oh, it's Michael List. Yay. Hey, Michael. Hi. How are we doing? Happy 2019, Michael. That's right. For some of us, it's better than that. Better, you know, lucky to have it. Yep. Amen to that. That's right. Now it's gonna be a great year, regardless of all this stock market. We're gonna, there's no, there's a, uh, you see the employment report today, later on today. No. Super, super high employment. Excellent. Oh, wow. You know, hey, I, I, I remember I'm a president. An employer, of course. <laughs> well, I remember a president once saying, "It's the economy, stupid." And it appears yeah. That- yeah. <laughs> Those wise words. Yep. What can you say? So, today's topic, and and welcome to our first episode of 2019, um, is legal trends in in franchising in 2019. What are you saying so far, Michael? Michael Michael has got to tell us about the weather in Oak Brook. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Where are you, and what's the weather like? Ah, well, this is Michael Liss, and I'm with Fran Law here in Oak Brook, Illinois. Kitty Corner across the street from where the McDonald's headquarters used to be. Uh, Now it's uh, 20 miles to the east in downtown Chicago. Um, But our weather, I'm looking out the window, is a bright blue sky, all sun. We would say it's perfect uh, because it's uh, that and 45 degrees. Um, Those of you who have 70 or 75, well... You know, don't don't. We can just in. feel sorry for them. That's all. That's right. That's right. Um, now this is for for a January day in Chicago to be 45 and all sun. That's pretty nice. Yeah. You bet it is. It's really nice. I'm enjoying it for, for sure. For a January day in in Chicago and in there being sunshine, that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh. Well, welcome, welcome back to the show, Michael. We're happy to have you. Thank you. 
So where should we start? Day, well, well, the topic of the day is uh, legal trends in franchising. So all right, I can uh, pop in there if you'd like. Um, well, I got I got one question I want to ask okay. really quick. Um, I, last year there was a big deal about anti-poaching clauses in franchises where a franchisee right. can't poach uh, franchises, uh, other franchises' uh, employees. Um, right. And these clauses seem to be coming uh, – people seem to be having more and more issues with those. What do you think about that? Well, the um, I have an unusual perspective on franchising as a franchise lawyer, so let me give that here as, a, as an approach. Um, most franchise lawyers, I think, tend to represent one side or the other. They tend to be, you know, a lawyer for franchisors that sell franchises, and they advocate for that expansion of the brand and uh, more more stores and locations coast to coast, and they talk in you know those large words of of expansion. Um, and then there's usually separately franchise attorneys that represent franchisees, and and, and it's always a battle, you know of how much fairness and safety and sanity and justice, you know, truth, justice, and the American way we can get for <laughs> our franchisee buyer client, uh, either initially or ongoing with that big franchisor. And, and you have this clash that normally goes on. Um, and and uh, uh, I grew up years and years ago uh, being a franchisor attorney in-house. I was part of hair performers in Chicago and part of a joint venture with Subway. Um, and so I understand that perspective. Um, but about 25 years ago, I started representing both sides, different you know brands, different franchise systems, of course. Um, and so I kind of spent half my time advocating, you know, helping franchisors expand and half my time uh, protecting franchisees from nonsense that franchisors sometimes want to perpetuate. Um, the anti-poaching thing is, is nowhere near prevalent at all. It's, it's showing up in a few states with uh, sort of like fairness decisions. Um, they, you know, it's sort of like a pro-employee mentality of uh, um, uh, I guess you call it, it's sort of related to the tension that's been around for decades on employment non-compete provisions where, um, uh, you know, can an employee uh, promise you that if you'll teach them the ropes and if you'll show them all the secrets and if you'll help them get started uh, with uh, the employer here, um, that they won't just take all that knowledge, quit, and open up across the street uh, with uh, their relatives' money and undercut you and and, and uh, r- really uh, make it so you don't even want to give them a job in the first place. And sort of the more you're towards the East Coast in the country, I'm told, um, we sort of think that if people promise something, they, they should be held to it. Uh, and if you're more towards, so that would mean enforce those contracts, um, and if you're more towards the West Coast, there's this feeling of, of uh, uh, well, there, there should be flexibility and ease of transferring um, and sort of a, a flow of uh, um, employees among companies, and it would encourage growth in new companies. Um, and, and those are two widely 
different policies. Um, this anti-poaching one, which you know is is choosing words that are inflammatory, like poaching. All right, um, the um, um, is, is over there towards that West Coast mentality uh, of uh, um, you know people, you know people should be able to you know go where they feel like they should they should be able to expand and 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 uh try things and experiment and be innovative and um you know regardless of what they promise to the franchisor they they should not have to follow those words in writing which is how more of the east coast would think and um the poor midwest here in the middle were we're sort of torn, uh, sometimes leaning one way or the other, and depends on the on the on the wind. Um, the um, I guess I'm 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 more Midwest and more Eastern in my own approach. Um, of, of you know, I take somebody at their word, um, and uh, uh, I, I don't view it as a a big deal either way in the life. You know the life cycle or, or the success of any franchise program, um, but I can I, I can imagine how a franchisee would feel if you know he had um, trained and had an expert store manager that was helping him make lots of money and provide lots of you know I don't know meals and dining experience in the local community, and another franchisee a mile down the road just uh, offers the store manager an extra dollar an hour. And so the, the the store manager just jumps over there, uh, even though the store manager had promised that they wouldn't do that. Um, if I was that first store manager, I'd I'd, I'd wish that some court would make the per, make the store manager. If I was the owner of that first store, uh, I'd want some court to uh, uh, hold somebody to their promise. Uh, in other words, make the manager honor it, because uh, it might cost. Uh, months to find somebody and months to train somebody and and uh, next thing you know $10. it's six or nine months to catch up is so that, is i that would so, expect is that is, is that similar well, to a non-compete document yeah that's what i'm saying this is where this discussion comes from the anti-poaching the the, the real mm-hmm. the real statement is there's provisions in franchise agreements that say um don't steal each other's store managers don't steal each other's mm-hmm. employees and, and so, if, you know, if, if I if I want uh, to hire a store manager for my franchise store, I, I shouldn't. I, I I've promised the franchisor um, that I won't steal one, hire one, you know, from a different franchisee. And, and uh, um, in other words, I won't poach. All right. Um, and uh, the. The question now is, is should that be enforced, that it promised that I wouldn't steal somebody else's manager? Or should, even though, or, you know, or, or should that whole idea, you know, be banned and, and store managers should be able to go wherever they feel like? Well, let me ask this question. Can it be enforced? Well, then you're just back, you know, regardless of these new provisions with a few places that are trying to write a law that says, you, you can't you can't have a promise in the franchise agreement not to poach um well what you have then is is the all of the many decades of employment non-compete laws which if anybody's been down this path is is very gray 
And it has the same issues uh, that I was saying between West Coast and East Coast, where, you know, California would say, I'm told, that uh, they never want to enforce a, a covenant not to compete in an employment context. They always want to let somebody leave whenever they feel like it. All right. And on, on the more towards the West Coast and the way Illinois has been for quite a while, there, there's now some controversy. Uh, it is more of if somebody wants to promise it, um, then we want to enforce it. And then they, they put that inside of some, some um, I don't know what to call it, reasonableness type statements of uh, it, it needs to be, you know, not just a low level. Uh, employee that if they left it couldn't that person could not even hurt the former employer by going elsewhere it needs to somebody it needs there needs to be some employer's protectable interest um, and then second that there needs to be some sort of reasonable duration you can't make somebody promise for you know that for a hundred years they'll they'll never work you know some you know nearby <laughs> and the third requirement in a lot of these states is that there be a, a reasonable geographic restriction uh, and that is it's it sort of has to be where most of the customers were coming from all along so if this business was the the local pancake shop on the corner of first and main and most people by far only came from you know two three miles away for pancakes um you know the non-compete shouldn't be a whole lot more mileage uh the geography should not be much more than that it might you know if you tr so if you tried to say it would be the entire state of illinois or north america <coughs> that's obviously crazy unreasonable um that those three points are very traditional analysis of covenants employment covenants not to compete and that's a controversial area in the law and it varies not only between East Coast and West Coast, but it even varies, it seems like, between judges and um, uh, things like that. But the anti-poaching thing is, is not just that. It, it is, it is uh, can, the, can one franchisee and the franchisor agree to not hire another franchisee's employees? Um, and, and, and is there, could we make some state policy or something like that that would, that would say that that's uh, really uh, against, public, against the public policy of letting those employees freely choose wherever they want to work? Um, Has there been know, any success in that or any precedent? Um, there's some being passed. It, it's... I, I wouldn't. I'm. I'm not really greatly alarmed by it, but um, it's just it's an it's an edge that's out there right now. You know, it, the last few years we had this whole joint employer thing, where you know could the franchisee and the franchisee's employees somehow be deemed to be employees of the franchisor? Mm -hmm. You know, and we all went nuts with arguing about yeah. that because of some couple of different uh, very senior regulators in Washington, D.C., trying to change the, the, the way that was normally interpreted to be that, no, uh, employees of the franchisee are just employees of the franchisee, not the franchisor. And, right. and my God, the franchisee is surely not an employee of 
the franchisor. Um, right. But this has not been an easy topic for a few years now. There's many of the major franchisors have had to had to fight, you know, our federal government to try and settle out cases and and deal with that, and it's, it's still not quite all done. I I think it'll go back to the way it was, but we've been sort of in a gray and dark valley for a few years from now. Um, That's true. Um, so I thought the way they dis- decided this in Chicago was with a baseball bat. Um, well, well, we 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 don't usually talk about that. We we today had the today we had a um, uh, one of those old time uh, players. Uh, who, um, I, I, I shouldn't even go there. Baseball bat. Well. Um, <laughs> Well, Maybe I'm, it's like a game I'm of baseball. Is that what you're trying to say? I'm, I'm, I'm just changing yeah. the topic here. You're just trying to say we should have a fair game of baseball and the winner takes all. Well, um, I, I don't care, yeah, I don't that's care what, what uh, Guido uses. You know, baseball, bat, crowbar, <laughs> makes no difference to me. The lawyer is not going to endorse such violence. <laughs> we can't do that. Right? <laughs> uh, and that's why uh, we've got a lawyer on there. So he would say things like that. (laughs) Well, should I try to uh, start my? uh, I made a little list here before our 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 uh, our show uh, of some things that might be uh, trends in franchising from uh, a legal perspective, and some of them might be kind of surprising. Some of them might be sort of economics, and some of them are will sound a little more legalese. But these are things that I'm running into, and you know, we'll just talk about them, and you guys can pepper in all the holes. Sounds um, good. Remember, I see clients that walk in. Some want to be a some want to be a franchisor, and some want to be a franchisee. All right. Um, in that first group, uh, this is the first topic. Um, I see a group that comes in that that says things like, um, "I want to be a franchisor and do all the things that a franchisor does, and you know, selling franchises and training people and expanding coast to coast and charging a royalty and charging an initial fee and." And having rules and training, um, and uh, but I really don't want to be regulated like a franchise, um, because I heard that if you're a franchise, you not, not only do you have an agreement, you know, well you have to also have a a, a disclosure document, uh, sort yeah. of a, a a lawyer's lame attempt to write a business plan um, that has to get written up and go along with the agreement. All right. Before you can sell a franchise, and gosh, I, Michael, can't we just uh, call this a license, um, and and therefore it's not a franchise. Um, and I, I, it's one of the, it's a long time issue in franchising of, of, of people trying to avoid this regulation that provides franchise buyers with lots of written information, um, along with. Uh, 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 a cooling off period where they have a couple of weeks to think about everything before they would sign and pay money. Um, and uh, the answer to this person that comes in and says what I described is no. It, 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 is, a, it is a franchise when you simply have the three elements, the three, three parts of the definition. It's, it's um, one is you let them use your name for, for their business. You know, and, and so they all want to expand coast to coast under that great name. And then the second one is, is you know, some kind of training and guidance, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a way to do it. And 
um, everybody wants to make sure there's quality standards and and uh, uh, they don't want one guy in Podunk, you know, ruining the good name by doing it differently than what they what the the main company thinks. Um, and thirdly, the, the third element and the last element of this definition of if you've got that name being licensed and you've got that uh, kind of standards training kind of stuff, the third element is the, does, does the top company get paid at least $500 or more? Um, and, it, and obviously they get paid usually a lot more than that. They probably sometimes get more than that every week. Um, and, uh, um, you know, a, a typical new initial franchise fee might be, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 grand right up front. So that's way more than $500. And, and then there's usually ongoing um, a percentage of sales that adds up to, you know, hundreds of dollars a week or a month. And once you hit those three points, um, usage of the name at their business and this guidance and standard stuff and $500, that is the definition of a franchise. Um, and what it adds to it is, you know, besides having some agreement, um, you'd have this disclosure document where you have to really kind of explain um, a lot of the background of the franchisor and explain the, the fine print in that agreement and um, provide phone numbers on all the existing franchisees and um, uh, charts to estimate the costs for somebody to get open and um, things like that. Um, and, and But I, every probably every week or two I, I, I have somebody come in that says, uh, oh, can't we just call this a license? So, and all right. So probably 99 out of 100 would be the answer would be no. Okay, so before I ask my next question, I want to let everyone know that's hanging out on the website um, listening, and I can see everyone there. You can start a chat with me, and you can ask your questions, and I'll happily ask them to Michael. Um, people can call in at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. Um, and no, I'm not going to ask that. I'm not going to run the our first um commercial here because I want to ask a question of you there so how my question is this you mentioned the word license and and um, how is a licensee different from a franchisee or a a licensor different from a franchisor right and and that's the three elements here most of the time and what we're going to what we're going to be dealing with is that there's no difference every franchise agreement is a license agreement Okay. Period. Okay. I mean, the the um, uh, what do you what what's happening in that agreement? Whatever you call it, I mean, you don't have to title it anything. Is you are allowing, meaning licensing somebody, to use your name and your system. You are providing, you know, some kind of training, guidance, standards, kind of stuff, and you're requiring them to pay you if you're a franchisor. So that agreement, if it has those three things, no matter what you call it, will then require that you hand out a disclosure document um, in every single state along with signing somebody up. Uh, It turns out that in another um, 14 
states, you'll have to you know, get a, a registration or permission from the state office um, that they allow you to uh, begin selling franchises in their state. Um, but basically it is um, before you can sign them up on your agreement, you have to have that disclosure document that explains everything in black and white to a prospect before you can sign them up. And, and so um, what kind of a license agreement could not be a franchise, you might ask? Um, yes. And, and you look at those three point. elements and try to imagine which of those three you would be willing to give up. And I suspect you're going to tell me none of them I can give up. Like, let's walk through them. Uh, no, uh, people can use any name they want. Well, yeah. No, I'm, I'm I'm thinking of creating a you know something coast to coast, and I'm thinking of having co-op advertising. I'm thinking of having you know building a whole goodwill and reputation. No, I, I need the name to to be part of that. You know, and and then the second one. Uh, Guidance and training or standards. Uh, no, I can't give up on that. That's 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 necessary just so that it's quality. It means something. I can't. They can't start serving hot dogs at you know at at my uh, Serve Pearl franchise. No, that's not. That's they don't get to choose that. If they're using my name, they they have to you know use my menu uh, and, and and things. Um, and then thirdly, uh, would they would somebody give up on uh, you know get, getting money? And go, oh no, that's kind of the point of this. And all of a sudden, you've said, no, I want all three of those elements. And so that's fine. That's nothing wrong about that. It's just uh, okay. That that license then is a franchise, and, and therefore you have to uh, include with uh, it a disclosure document that explains it. And, go, oh, okay. crap. And, right. and that's that's that whole topic, and you can feel the circles going around and round in there, you know. And, and then someone's going to spend some extra money to have that disclosure document. They're they're going to spend, you know, depending on who they use to help them. They can use consultants, they can use lawyers, they can use both. You know, they'll spend ten, twenty, thirty, forty thousand without much effort to to plan and organize and write that agreement and. Um, disclosure document, um, and, and some of that they would have had anyway if they just did a license agreement and gave up on one of those three things. But um, there, there's there's a cost to complying with uh, having the disclosure document once you meet those three definitional elements. Um, anyway, that that was the first, you know. Legal issue I wanted to bring up because I, I see it all the time and people trip over it and and they, they pretend it's easy to get around and then all of a sudden uh, they've sold a franchise in, in Illinois when they weren't registered and now the state attorney general is sending out nasty notices and talking about felony charges and fines and refund rights for franchisees and you know the poor the the, the poor small franchisor is having a heart attack because you know they they didn't really think it would ever be that bad um, so there's so then we no have to try way around and, that there's no well, way it's around those three things it's those three yeah. elements if, if, if you mm -hmm. if you can give up on one of those three and i'm not sure what it is i can't imagine what it is um 
um, then then you might get around it. But um, uh, if you keep those three, you're a franchise. One of the things that we talk a lot about on this show is why would you even want to buy a franchise unless you have those three elements? Oh, that's I mean, a cool thing. Yeah, that's you're right. I mean, it sense. really I mean, is. Like you know what you're doing. Anybody, you, you, right. anybody can sell hot dogs, but right. You know, <laughs> you know, if you just want to sell hot dogs, that's fine. But you know, you if you buy. A I mean, like I, I do this story all the time with, with. I do this story all the time with franchise buyer clients. Like, I'll say, hey, if I was thinking about you know opening up a sandwich shop. You know, and I could call it Mike's Sandwiches, and maybe I'd save a few hundred dollars a week in royalties paying you know, Subway as if they were my franchisor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But wait a minute, uh, how much sales would I ever have, you know, if I was just Mike's Sandwiches on the corner over here? And and uh, whereas in the Subway world, and stores open up great, and... and uh, mm-hmm. I, I would venture to guess that with the group discounts to lower the cost of food, you know, inventory, um, it, it probably the savings is more than what I pay in royalties. Um, oh, the yeah. the advertising that I can group together with other franchisees. I mean, how 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 does Subway end up on the Super Bowl doing ads? It's not because one little sandwich shop could ever afford that that's co-op advertising that's one of the greatest benefits in franchising um and and so um having those structures and and, uh uh kind of describing those clearly in a disclosure document um giving people detailed charts as to what it really costs to get open in business um, providing phone numbers of every franchisee and addresses so you can call them to find out the real truth about franchising and, and not just what the salesman told you. Um, these are all part of the benefits of this franchise law that, you know, I'm just I'm referring to as, you know, having that disclosure document. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's, that's a big piece I think is real important for people to know. It is. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, there's no way to come up with an FDD. Hmm. All right. Well, what all right. Do? Let's do another topic. Are you ready? All right. Take okay. it in. Uh, let's switch to the franchisee side. Um, now remember, not many. There might be five thousand different franchise companies, franchisors, no systems. Mm-hmm. Some number. Uh-huh. I don't know what it really is. No one knows really what it is because it changes all the time. But it's something like that. Um, how many of those, what percent of those um, are big, are a brand name you and I could even think of? What, you know, how many of them are well-known? How many really have systems that are tried and true with a lot of franchisees? And, and the answer is, is very few. It it might be ten percent, twenty percent. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, about five hundred. You know, it, it it's it's um most franchisors are um you know I've got one here that uh, you know somebody's talking to me about helping them create a new franchisor and you know it's it's a new 
it's it's a uh, it's a brand new restaurant that's uh, you know a certain menu that you, know, you and I haven't seen very often, but they'll be the maybe the first or second other uh, franchisor of that type of restaurant. Wow. Okay. Uh, how many French they have? Oh, they have they have three company-owned stores uh, for about three years. Okay, okay. How many franchisees like me have started? None. Um, how many after a year might be in business? Oh, maybe if we're lucky, five or ten. Um, that's a whole other world than I want to buy another Subway franchise or I want to buy a a Jimmy John's or uh, a McDonald's or, you know, some brand name we've all heard of. Um, and, and, uh, and so there's two different worlds in franchising. There's sort of kind of like there's McDonald's, and separately there's franchising. It, it almost feels that way. <clears throat> and what I want to bring up for this second topic is in that vast majority of franchisors that are smaller, what we as franchise buyers need to know is that most of them will negotiate changes to their franchise agreement. Might might be uh grudgingly, it might be uh it might be a lot of, you know, sputtering. Um but every week I have clients that come in and buy in, buy a brand new franchise um and if it's not one of those few big names uh, every single one of them negotiates changes to their franchise agreement. And it's almost like the secret in franchising that franchisors don't want people to know. Um, now, you can't negotiate stupid stuff. You, you know, it's going to have to be negotiating things that are so one-sided, so so onerous that it would hold you back from ever buying the franchise otherwise. Um, and that leads me to, whether it's the same topic or today's third topic, which is what is an example of such an onerous one-sided topic that might make someone not buy the franchise? And that is the topic of, I'll I'll call it, um, no future royalties. And by that I mean, if somebody bought a franchise, and let's say it was a 10-year term, and they open up, and it turns out that it's a real struggle. And there's problems in the business, there's problems in the family, there's problems in the economy, whatever it is, there's problems. And after, let's say, two years of using more and more savings to try and keep the business afloat, they just can't, they can't make the payroll, they have to close. They can't even sell it to somebody because nobody wants to buy it you know, so they so they too would have the right to lose money, um, and so they just close, and, and they pay all the royalties for all two years they were open, and the question comes up: Could they ever owe future royalties for the next eight years on their ten-year franchise agreement when they're closed? You know, and the franchise agreement said. You know, they'll pay 6% of their gross sales in operating the restaurant. And they're no longer operating the restaurant. And so you might say, if you're thinking like a franchisee, well, obviously you can't owe any more royalties. There's 
I mean, 6% of zero sales is zero, and this is almost a stupid topic. I mean, I'm not using their name. I'm not getting their help. They they can put a new franchisee in the territory. Well, of course, there's no such thing as future royalties that I would have to pay. But we now have probably, I don't know, I'll say at least half of franchisors over the last 10 years uh, have won a few cases here and there, and have now come up with the expectation that they should get 10 years of royalties, whether or not you're still open. And they they write clauses in franchise agreements that say, I, the franchisee, will keep paying royalties even if I'm closed, based on what I used to average in sales. Whoa. And so if I was paying 10 grand or 20 grand a year in royalties, and 20 grand times eight more years, that's 160,000 that I owe in future royalties. Even though I used my last nickel to keep the store open and be a success, um, I'm still somehow a franchisor thinks they want to get future royalties. And if we're going to negotiate anything in a franchise agreement, to me it would seem like you'd want to negotiate a statement that says, um, the franchisor agrees that you would not owe future royalties. Yeah. And so that, that gives us the third topic. Okay. Before we jump to the third topic, now well, that was it. That was, that was it. That was, that was okay. two and three together. <laughs> okay. Two, two so, was negotiate and three, if, if you're going to negotiate anything, negotiate for no future royalties. All right, so Ray, before you ask your next question, <clears throat> we'll play a word from one of our sponsors. Got it. Ever wonder how successful business people get educated about franchise business options? The Franchise Consulting Company is a group of over 100 franchise professionals with more than 2,000 years of franchise experience. We help our clients select and investigate franchise companies. And like a realtor, our services are free of charge to you. Our fees are paid by the seller. Reach out to us to learn more and get a free copy of the Franchise MBA, the number one bestseller and highest reviewed book on Amazon in the franchise category. Our website is thefranchiseconsultingcompany.com or feel free to call us on 800-321-6072. Thanks, Nick. And as a reminder, people can call in at 323-580-5755. Thanks to Link Local Network for broadcasting our little show here. And as always, you can listen at www.pillarsoffranchising.com and ask questions through the live chat. So, Ray, back to you. Uh, I was thinking as Michael was talking, uh, what is in my contract, my, you know, my agreement? Right. And, I was wondering about uh, that too. <laughs> yeah. And I can't remember to tell you the truth because at the at the ten year mark I was already making money and it it didn't dawn on me that wow this could go the other way and it can of course and it still can because I'm five years into my new contract but I I don't remember but I ha I thought there was a minimum in other words if a minimum royalty now. Yeah. 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 Minimum royalties, and I. But I can't. I can't say that for certain because I don't remember. Right. You sure wouldn't want to have to pay that if you were no longer in business, right? Right. 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 So, but, but you know. But I, a big I issue think... that we look for and help franchise buyers with, 
and and luckily, by far, most franchisors will negotiate on on this topic. So, mm, sure, that would um, be the first thing. Yeah. So, I would question so. there. Okay. Does this, um, and as 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 Ray was contemplating what his said, um, mm-hmm. I was wondering of, is there that type of cause for let's say. Um, Ray goes and decides to sell his franchise, which he's not going to, so don't right. jump in there. Right, right. Um, but I do know of a Molly made in Atlanta that's looking to be bought. So mm-hmm. is there that type of thing uh, that would be, let's say, somebody's got a 10-year, you know, they're, they're past the 10-year mark and they're going to sell their franchise. Is there, that something that the buyer of the franchise can get hit with in, you know, the next buyer can get hit with? Yeah, yeah. Um, the um, um, the newer or the more recent the franchise agreement, it probably not always, but uh, pretty high odds, it's less and less friendly to a franchisee. Okay, when there's a sale of a store to a new guy, as you're describing, the, that's a transfer. Um, most of the time, probably eighty percent, ninety percent of the time, not always though. Um, the the old franchisee's franchise agreement will be terminated and the new franchisee will sign a brand new franchise agreement which again remember will be worse will be meaner than the old franchisee's franchise agreement and that so that new franchise buyer is put onto a brand new franchise agreement where you know you know, five more mean things have been put into the agreement during the last 12 months, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, the um, a variation of your question there is, is um, um, could uh, the seller of a franchise, you know, to the, to the buyer in that transfer, uh, even though the buyer signs a brand-new franchise agreement, could the seller stay obligated to pay future royalties after the business has been sold to the buyer. So if the buyer ever screwed up the business and stopped paying royalties, you know, and the seller is retired to Florida, could the seller ever get a letter saying, your buyer stopped paying, so now you must start paying? And there are franchise systems that are doing that. Not many that I know of, but there are some that are doing that. And again, I'd want to negotiate a clause that somewhere, everywhere says no future royalties. Uh, you know, once I'm gone, I'm gone. Um, and, and, you know, it almost, you know, as you say, it, it seems so obvious, I think, sometimes to people because we're thinking like franchise buyers. The franchisor thinks they're being fair, too, and, you know, they think we promised to pay for 10 years, and now we're skipping out on eight years of it. And, you know, just because we had health problems and we had a problem with the road construction in front of our store, that poor franchisor shouldn't suffer and lose eight years of royalties. And they talk like that with all sincerity. Um I think maybe before getting in, I'd want to clarify what the understanding is about that, so I don't get that surprise letter later. I, I, I think again, that is you one something new. 
that, Go ahead. If, if there's any any reason at all to hire an attorney who knows what he's doing, that would be it if you're buying uh, into another franchise that's already existing. That would be it right there. Right. Is that, that, that is I think I, that, I agree. It's my number one issue. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of yeah. issues, but that's that's right up there. Let's do a little happier thing for a second. Everyone yeah, likes yeah. to say, uh, what are the most popular franchises these days? What are people buying for franchises? All right, that's a fun topic. All right. Um, you know, and I've got half these clients come in here that are buying franchises. Uh, one, they're, they're not buying those big names. They're, they're not buying the, the next Subway in the McDonald's. Those not, that's not who I'm seeing wander in. They're, they're buying the names that, that um, you and I probably haven't heard of yet because they're, there is now a new franchisor for a cookie dough store franchise. And it looks a lot like an ice cream store. It has little containers of, you know, like chocolate and vanilla and whatever that gets scooped and put into a bowl or a cone, but it's not ice cream. It's cookie dough. First thing um, that comes to mind is raw eggs, but go ahead. Yeah, they, mu- they must have done something to deal with that, of course, right? They're yeah. not out there hurting people. So, um, Or um, how about uh, uh, dog training? Ooh. Um, uh, ramen restaurant. <laughs> uh, longtime favorites have been these small fitness centers. Those have been probably number one for quite a while. Um, yeah. Maybe contending also with senior care franchises where uh, somebody goes into the elder parent's home and helps them with day-to-day living things like cooking and cleaning and bathing so they can continue to live at home and not have to move to the nursing home. Um, and and maybe lastly is just, you know, there's always the next restaurant, whatever it may be, um, franchise. Um, but fitness, senior care, restaurants, surprising things like cookie dough and dog training and ramen, that's my life. <laughs> Okay, so the cookie dough, I mean, I've been a long-time fan of eating raw, well, pre-heart attack, Fred was a long-time fan of right, eating right. raw cookie dough. Now um, we're talking spinach yeah, with tuna. Now we're talking, yeah, I'd go to a kale. and eat spinach, please. No, <laughs> I don't eat kale. I don't eat kale. Ooh, you yeah, smell your that stuff when okay. it gets wet. Yes. Um, <laughs> but Mess. there's got to be. Huge kinds of liability with that stuff, isn't there? Eh, probably no more than usual. And, and that's wow. why we have insurance. That's why we have training. That's why we have inspections. I, I, I think you, you, you were talking about fun stuff, and the thing that came to mind is what are some of the more ridiculous things that you've seen people ask for on either side uh, in an agreement? You mean a franchisor asking for future royalties? <laughs> yeah, 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 that one's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, okay. yeah, it can be ridiculous. But, uh, I mean, tell me when know. it's not ridiculous, if, you, if you're advocating for a franchisee. All right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, put it this way. Um, uh, the, the 
the franchise agreements, the contracts, uh, here's kind of an ironic thing. Um, let's see if we can guess together who has some of the shortest contracts and who has some of the longest contracts. And what we're talking, for short, we're talking like, you know, 10, 15 pages. And for long, we're talking like, you know, 50, 60, 80, 90-page contracts. And the, wow. the, the surprising thing is, is um, the, uh, some of the shortest contracts are with the biggest franchisors. Really? The, the McDonald's, the, the Subway um, have some of the shortest agreements. Um, in some ways, they basically say, you know, follow whatever is in the manual. And that's really all you need. In some ways, right. Um, yeah. And, 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 uh, some of the newest of franchisors that have, you know, no franchisees or three or something like that, uh, I see them bring me to review franchise disclosures and doc agreements that are agreements are 65 pages and the disclosure document in total, including the agreement, is, you know, 375 pages. And, you know, every power in the world is given to the franchisor um, who doesn't even really even know what those powers are because, his entire 10 or 20 year life experience has been, um, you know, making ramen noodles. <laughs> they try to button everything down, and even if they could, they, they wouldn't know what to do with it. No. And some things you don't want to button exactly because it might change. You might want to have the flexibility mm -hmm. to change it in the manual because well, you, you thought you were so smart and wrote it all one way, and then. Oops, you realized you wish you could do something a little differently. And if it was in the manual, you could just change, you know, Chapter 3 in the manual. But now you're stuck because it's Article 3 of mm -hmm. your contract. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Makes sense. That's kind of an interesting little thought. All right. So at this, as, since we have an interesting thought there, we're going to take a moment to say you can call in at 323-580-5755. If this is Thursday, January 3rd, 2019, if it's not and you're listening to this, well, then you're screwed. And now another word from a sponsor. Hey, franchise owners. Does the marketing that corporate provides for your franchise go far enough? Do you struggle to get local clients to call or come through your door? At Mediavine Marketing, we love working with franchises like yours to personalize and localize your marketing efforts through social media sites like Facebook or Instagram, in emails to your current and past customers, with Facebook or Google ads, and whiteboard animation videos. Contact Mediavine Marketing today at 805-265-5440 or go to mediavinemarketing.com. That's 805-265-5440. Mediavine Marketing. We know franchises and we want to help yours grow. And we're back, but... I'm sorry, I have to play this clip because it cracks me up and it just makes me happy. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Sorry, I really enjoy playing that clip and I'll probably play it every show for the next year or two. It just cracks me up. Oh, so. please. <laughs> All right. Hey, we're, we're getting to the top of the hour here, so I want to come up with another topic. Um, and I think this is—I think this might be a good one for everybody, franchisors and franchisees. And that is, um, are we getting anything? And the answer is yes. Are we getting anything meaningful into these 
franchise disclosure documents about how much money a franchisee might make. And uh, the history on this, for decades and decades, there in, um, uh, was the franchisee didn't want to say much about that. They would say, well, you know, every store is different, every franchisee is different, and every geographic area is different, and, and, and times change, and how, how can you ever tell the future anyway? All right? Um, um, and then we got some of these disclosure laws passed that require disclosure documents, and, and there was this section to talk about this, and probably for, well, let's see, one, two, three, maybe at least uh, – Probably 80% of franchisors simply said, uh, you know, um, I think you're best just calling franchisees. And a few of them, maybe 20% of them, maybe less even, back in the 70s and, not pardon me, more like the 80s and 90s, um, would say, uh, um, you know, there'd be a little something about average sales per store. You know, it would be, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, $300,000 for the year, you know, one number, and that would be it. Um, but basically then it would go on to say, you know, call our franchisees and hear for yourself the variations from store to store. Um, and that's pretty frustrating if you're a franchise buyer. You're, you're kind of hoping you could maybe, uh, with your accountant, get some data and start to make some projected cash flow statements based on what existing stores were doing. But that wasn't reality. Um, the change, we're looking for new trends, the change in the last, I don't know, five years, maybe longer, uh, ten years, uh, a little long, maybe five years, is rather than maybe 80% uh, of franchisors not putting in financial information, we may be approaching 70 80% that are putting in financial information. And some of it's a lot more than simply average gross sales for our, all of our stores, you know, just one number that's 300,000. Uh, I can visualize uh, one franchisor that puts in uh, separately for each store the, the, the sales um, for last year at that store and the payroll and the rent and uh, a couple more expense numbers and then ends up with a profit number that's a little closer to what we might call EBITDA for um, uh, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization. But it's, it's sort of getting towards profit. And that's per store. That's about as much detail as you can imagine. Um, we're seeing... Um, uh, <coughs> Uh, uh, expense numbers, uh, you know, income statements on, on uh, not just, you know, average top line sales or, you know, top 10%, bottom 10%. Uh, we're, we're starting to see expense numbers. It's, it's not just on company stores. It's also on what franchisee-owned stores are, are doing. And, and so rather than being way more likely that you get no data, now it's the change that I'm bringing up here is we're probably going to say it's way more likely you will get data. And if you aren't getting data, something weird is going on. Um, and so that's the next new trend. That's so that's either trend. Under, under, well, uh, under inform them or over inform them is what you're saying. In the old days, it was always under inform them. 
and and now it's it's an, it's starting to be more and more informational. I I'm not quite sure what overinform would mean, but but it, but it's uh, it's now provide. That's I'd say more often, way more often than not, you'll see sales and information about how stores are doing. Um, um, where in the old days it was way more often you'd see nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, that's not 100%, think... and it still has a long way to get more data, but but it's a big improvement. Yeah, um, you know, just like uh, reading a newspaper, you have to take what you see in the way of financial data with a grain of salt because it can well, be manipulated and, 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 and remember way you what want. we learned about statistics, right? Statistics can yeah. be picked and chosen to show what you know you want to show exactly yeah it's the same thing with the financial data and i have to ask this question is i always thought financial data have to be in an ftd is does it not have to be no no not at all you can simply write no. uh, we have chosen not to provide any uh, financial data you know you can call our franchisees here's all their phone numbers ah. and that's what that's what okay. franchisors by far did for decades before five ten years ago, it's it's been in See, this last uh, five ten years. It's 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 switching over to be the other way. When I was on the list of one of the franchises that was being called by potential buyers mm-hmm. of a franchise, mm-hmm. I was told I could give financial data out at my discretion if I wanted to. Right, you're a franchisee. The, the the franchise law was regulating the franchisor. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so you could uh, say your sales were a million dollars, or you could say your sales were a hundred grand, um, and and that wasn't going to be a violation of some franchise law unless you know somehow you got the franchisor in the middle of that, like right. They're on the call with you, and they're prompting you, and you know it it almost sounds like it's puppeteering. And it really is the franchisor saying it. Um, the the um, but the typical thing about hey call our franchisees and then you the franchisee talk about numbers. That's all legal. Mm-hmm. I think when I was doing my due diligence uh, and talking to other owners, I don't think there was anybody who said no. I'm not going to tell you what I'm making. They all, you know, poured it out freely. Yeah, that's a pr- I, I, I wondered about that. You know, would they all think we are the IRS and they, we, they'd clam up and say nothing. But that's not what I usually hear. I normally hear, you know, a good chunk of maybe not everybody, but a good chunk of people. You know, if you're nice on the call and, you know, you're, you'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that, wow. to me, that's better than getting it from the than from the franchisor because, like I say. They can yeah. make it sound any way they wanted to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, um, I wouldn't give up on doing that. Even if I got some data and some numbers from the franchisor nowadays, I'd still be calling franchisees to to have. Because, you know, as soon as you hear one number, you think of three more questions about that number. And, and you can ask that franchisee about it. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's what I did. As usual, Michael, you taught me things I did not want to know, but that I needed to know today. And You're welcome. Cause me, you'll cause me more work in cash later, but okay, I know who I'm going to talk to when I'm ready for the, to buy. So okay, annoying, but I can't remember. Did, did you give out our 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 secret uh, uh, phone number at six three zero five seven one five six two six, or should we do that? 
that was my next question was uh, how do people get a hold of you? Or at our website of www.franlaw.com, F-R-A-N-L-A-W.com. Um, and what was that phone number again? 630-571-5626. Um, always glad to help. You oh, have to have you on the show. In, in the time I've known you, which has been multiple years now, uh, i got to say, you've taught me more about the law than um, even some people I used to have to pay to defend my <laughs> Um So, folks, You're welcome. Yeah, he, You're Michael's welcome. got my five stars, five out of five stars on why when you need a lawyer, you call Michael. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, happy New Year. We'll be ta- happy New Year. Yeah. We'll be talking to you soon. Okay. Bye now. All right, Ray. Bye-bye. We got uh, another session from our favorite uh, franchise professional in Cincinnati, uh, Holly A. Ford, called, if I remember right, it's Go Go Tell It to the Mountains. And here's Holly. Hi, this is Holly Ford from Zarian Firm. Trending this week in franchising, the working capital component of buying a franchise. So many buyers and even franchise developers underplay this important detail. It's not just about having the ability to pay for and secure funding for your new venture, but you need to make sure that you have the capital available to inject into the business until the business reaches the net revenue and matches your current needs. Sadly, this week, I've been working with a franchisee who consulted Zarian Firm for help. The franchisee began his business with insufficient working capital. Now, less than a year into the business, he no longer has the capital to move the business into profitability, and he wants to sell. Unfortunately, without the profits, the business is worth only the depreciated costs of the assets plus a little goodwill. Unless we find a buyer that wants to take the risk with a two-year trending forecast, this franchisee is in bad shape. In this instance, the build-out came in at more than $100,000 over projected costs, and the new owner was not clear on what break-even really meant. He mistakenly assumed that this was where he replaced his prior income. But break-even is just that. The business now has enough revenue to support and sustain the costs and expenses of the business. Break-even does not mean profitability. So when you're looking at new franchise opportunities, it's really critical to engage the developer or your broker to assist you in creating a performa, a performa based on your existing resources and the existing data of the other franchisees and their real results. If you'd like to learn more about working capital or how to create a performa, Connect with me through the Pillars blog or send me an email to holly at zarianfirm.com. Now for today's two-minute topic, go sell it on the mountain, franchisor do's and don'ts. Developers are enthused about their concept, and it makes it very easy for these skilled salesmen and women to really champion the franchise as the best in the industry. All good. But always remember, to developers, these men and women buying a franchise are often using a lifetime of savings, leaving an existing source of income, or investing in their future retirement. So be positive, for sure. 
but be real. The single most important rule for franchise developers is no FPRs. This is common knowledge in the industry, but for those of you that are new to franchising, an FPR is really defined as a franchise performance representation. Essentially, it's telling a prospective franchisee how much money he or she can make in the business. If a franchisor has an item 19 in their FDD, the franchise disclosure document, he is legally allowed to state exactly what is represented there, and that's approved, of course, by the state in that section. But there is much more to being real than this. Today, we're going to take a bird's-eye view of three areas of focus for franchisor do's and don'ts, money, competition, and what to expect. As we discussed earlier in trending, as we discussed, do not represent the real results of other franchisees, but also, and possibly even more important, make sure that you don't under-project working capital requirements. This is the biggest mistake in development that I have seen, as I spoke to you about earlier in our trending section. As a franchisor, make sure that you're looking deep into the finance needs of your prospect. How much is his burn rate? Will he be working full-time in the business? What other sources of revenue does he have? Then put the picture together with a conservative, cautious projection. The second area of focus today is the competition. Don't underplay the competition. You can sell the advantages of the franchise focusing on support, additional streams of revenue, fast startup, low build-out, etc. The final area of our focus today is what to expect. When doing a discovery day and with potential franchisees, it's great to have a nice dinner or cocktails and get comfortable with them and, and let them get comfortable with your key players in your corporate office. But make sure that the candidate has the opportunity to experience the real day-to-day operations of the franchise at a location in the company of a model owner. If you'd like to learn more about the do's and don'ts of franchise development, connect with me at holly at zarianfirm.com. Next week's two-minute topic is entitled, Add the Lip Gloss, Preparing Your Business for a Resale. And finally today, our highlighted franchise of the week is Apple Spice. Apple Spice is a proven B2B box lunch delivery and catering company enjoying a piece of the $45 billion industry. Apple Spice services the corporate and business community, as well as educational systems, government offices, financial institutions, sporting events, churches, and charities. Apple Spice is the only solely catering franchise with a low startup cost and a fantastic technology and support program. Give me a call if you want to learn more, 855-733-1337. 855-733-1337 or email me at holly at zarianfirm.com. If you have any questions about this topic or any other question regarding franchising, email me at holly at zarianfirm.com and we can cover it on a future episode. This is Holly Ford of Zarian Firm on Pillars of Franchising saying, see you next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Wow, that was a good clip. Um, yeah. Always happy to hear Holly's stuff and, and um, get her input on things. Don't you think, Ray? Yeah, it definitely is. So what did you learn today? Um, well, well, the big thing to me was the, um, you know, when, um, 
because I have my eye on a, a franchise that I want to buy, um, and I've, uh, the owners have been on the actual owners have been on the show in past, um, and their clients also, and so they've uh, agreed that you know when everyone's ready, we'll buy. Um, so getting the understanding the future royalty bit. Um, and that, that that's in there. Yeah, that was another little eye-opener for me. So to me, that was the, the biggest thing of it. Um, I think for me, it was understanding the uh, uh, licensee versus franchise uh, wording, you know, that understanding that. I think that, that was kind of an eye-opener for me. I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm... I'm still kind of having some difficulty with understanding the real differential there because from the sounds of it, you still got to do all the nasty paperwork. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, we need to get some licensees on, on the show. We'll have to go looking for some of them and, and talk to yeah. them about it. Um, all right, now for our last commercial of the day. And again, thanks to the Link Local Network for broadcasting us. And uh, next week, well, we'll be back. But first, wow, Fred's having a hard time finding the commercial. Uh, okay. Uh, no, that's not it. That's not it. Uh, there it is. Okay, here we go. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers is truly unique in the business resale space. While the average business broker uses one standard multiplier across all businesses and industries to value a business, Zarian Firm is the only business brokerage that looks at the five factors of distinction in each individual business. This gives our sellers a true value and our buyers a fair price. Zarian offers sellers the choice of three marketing packages based on how quickly they want to sell their business but all of our businesses sell 33% faster than the industry norm. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers connects premium investors with validated business opportunities. Well, I'm really happy with this first show of 2019, aren't you? I am. Uh, I think that should be a hit with everybody. There's a lot of excellent information that uh, we learned today. And, uh, you know, so far what I see coming down the pike in 2019 is uh, going to be great. Well, but you know me, I'm the perpetual optimist, so I would never see anything wrong with it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend, um, I can tell you, um, I am grateful every day I wake up, and I, um, I, oh, wow. So, all right, if anybody's listening and they know my daughter, you can't tell her I said anything. But, you know, one of the big things was I wanted to um, see my granddaughter open her first presents um, at Christmas time, and... 
one of the first presents she opened was a T-shirt that her mom gave her that said Big Sister on it, um, which I'm going to be a grandpa again later this year. So um, you know what? With that ahead of me, this year is going to be fantastic, my friend. Yep. Grandkids are great, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. When they cry in the morning, you don't got to be the one that gets up and deals with them. You can rile them up and hand them back. And, wow. Yep. I Feed them full of sugar great. and send them home. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> and say, you know what? Had I not made the decision that I made years ago, you wouldn't be here, kiddo. And there's nothing That's your mom right. and dad can do about that. <laughs> How many you got now, my friend? I have two. And uh, my my first guy, he just celebrated his second birthday on the 1st of January. And we had a good time, and uh, I think he did too. <laughs> it's... Uh, and the uh, other uh, grandchild, she she was born August 24th of uh, this past year, and it sounds strange saying that already because she was just born. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, she's looking cuter every day. <laughs> so I'm going to catch up to you. So you know, we're going to yeah. poke these our kids to get them to you know win the win the grandkid race. <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. All right, oh. so. Yeah. Talk to you next Any week. Any last thoughts? We'll talk to you next uh, week. Oh, uh, go ahead. That's it. We're good. Okay. All right, folks. All right. This has been the Pillars of Franchising. Uh, if you're obviously now, if you're going to be listening, you're going to be listening on the podcast. Uh, so please listen live uh, on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central at uh, www.pillarsoffranchising.com or call in at 323-580-5755 where you can either listen or you can ask questions on the Pillars of Franchising. Good night, everyone. Good night.